You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Lord Jesus, we want to pause right now at the beginning of this message and this service, Lord, to exalt your name. You alone are worthy, Lord. Lord, there is no one like you. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our adoration. Lord, you are glorious. You indeed are stronger than anything else in this world, anything else in all of the spiritual realm, in all of eternity, Lord. You are greater than anything else that there is, Lord. And you are the one, Lord who freely gave yourself for us. Lord, we thank you so much that you stepped down from your throne in glory, that you came to this earth, Lord, that you walked humbly among people here on this earth and that you lived a perfect sinless life and you gave that life on the cross to pay for our sins and to redeem us, to buy us back, Lord, and to bring us into a relationship with your Father and that through you, we can have eternal life. Jesus Christ, we praise you for that this morning. We thank you that you are triumphant, that you are victorious, that you are the one that is all-powerful, and there is no one, no one like you. And Lord, this morning, we praise you in your name. And we pray that as we open your word, that you would open our eyes to see your glory, to see your greatness in a fresh way, Lord, and to see your calling on our lives. Lead us now, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. It's a joy to be able to open God's word with you today. Uh, My name is Brett Patterson, and I am the pastor of discipleship here at Harvest Niagara, for those of you that I don't know. And this morning, we are going to take some time this week and next week, and we are going to go to the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28, and we are going to look at the Great Commission. And so if, uh, if you have your Bible with you this morning, I just invite you to open it up there, the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible with you today, just go ahead and put your hand up and keep it up nice and high. We've got our ushers coming down the aisle. They would love to get a copy of God's Word in your hand, and if you don't have a Bible at home please take it as an early Christmas present from us to you and be blessed as you read the word of God. So this morning, we are going to be looking at the Great Commission, and instead of really covering the whole Great Commission today, we're going to take two weeks to walk through it slowly. Today, we are just going to look at the beginning of the commission and the end of the commission. And as we do that, as we jump into it, I want you just to take a second while you're turning there to think about some of the great missions that have happened in history. Some of the great different missions that have happened, maybe we think of the Apollo 11 space mission and where an astronaut landed on the moon and how incredible that is and how unbelievable in some ways that is. Or maybe we think about um, some of the, the missions that, that uh, men were sent on in World War I and World War II, rescue missions with such heroic feats. Or maybe we think of Christopher Columbus and his journey to the New World, and just the the type of vessel that he was on, the type of technology that they had, and just incredible that they made it at all. Um, Or maybe we think about, you know, the Titanic. Well, almost a great mission, right? Not, Not quite, but almost, and there was some great things about it. 
Um, but one that really comes to mind for me is, is the, the three missions to Antarctica, to the South Pole, that uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton went on. And maybe you've heard of Ernest Shackleton, maybe you haven't. He was a polar uh, adventurer, and this, this is taking place. He was a polar adventurer around 1914, so just before World War I. And he made three trips to the South Pole, close to the South Pole anyway, to Antarctica. And Shackleton, on his third mission set out from a small island called South Georgia, okay, not anywhere near Georgia in the United States, okay, way south of that, and he set out with a crew of 27 men in the year 1914, and Shackleton traveled from South Georgia on his ship, the Endurance, and he got close to the coast of Antarctica, and then they got into the pack ice, and they tried several times to get around the pack ice and work their way out, but eventually their boat became frozen in the pack ice just off the shores of Antarctica. And as Shackleton was there with his men floating in this pack ice, they tried desperately to get the boat, to get the ship out of the pack ice, and they were unable. Eventually the pack ice closed in so tight, it began to crush the ship and break the bow of the ship and they decided that they would need to leave the ship. And so Shackleton and his 27 men took the three lifeboats that they had, filled them with supplies, and began to drag them 100 miles across the ice to get to the open sea. When they finally reached the open sea, they launched the boats into the Arctic water, and they began to row. They began to row for an island called Elephant Island, they rode at times day and night for seven days straight in freezing rain, in terrible conditions. Hypothermia was constantly an issue, and they rode, and they rode, and they rode, and they eventually made it to Elephant Island, which is really just a big rock. And as they made it to this island, they landed on Elephant Island. Shackleton knew that he couldn't leave his men there, that they couldn't stay there, or they would all die. And Shackleton left the crew with two lifeboats, and he set off with a third lifeboat and with just uh, four other men. And they began to sail, and they sailed for South Georgia Island. And over the next 16 days, Shackleton and the four men with him crossed approximately 1,300 kilometers of Arctic Sea. This is in like a 22-foot lifeboat. Incredible. And they made it to South Georgia Island, but the problem was is that the, the wind was too strong to land on the side of the island that they needed to land on, and so they landed on the back side of the island. They pulled the boat up on shore, and right away, Shackleton left a couple of his men that were injured and set out with three, two other men, three total. They set out across the mountains of South Georgia. At this time, the mountains of South Georgia were considered to be uncrossable. It was impossible to cross them at any time of the year. And Shackleton knew that if they didn't make it to the other side, to the whaling station on South Georgia Island, that all of his men would perish. And so they hiked through the Arctic, freezing cold, through blizzards. They hiked for 36 continual hours. And eventually they made it. And they made it to the whaling station. And as Shackleton came down into the whaling station, they began to talk with others and they began to get a rescue effort together. And not only did he save the men that were with him, but then they set out on three attempts to rescue the rest of the men that were left on Elephant Island, each of those attempts ending in failure. And then finally, the following year, they borrowed a boat, a boat from the Chilean government and they used that boat to get to the men on Elephant Island and they rescued all of those men. Incredible mission, isn't it? Did not did not succeed in the goal of reaching the South Pole, but incredible bravery, incredible endurance, incredible leadership 
Some of Shackleton's men remarked often that they knew all along that they would be safe because Shackleton was with them. As we think about this mission, we think about an incredible mission with such bravery, such endurance, but honestly, a mission like this really pales in comparison. It's really nothing compared to the mission that we have been given. You know, as we think about the mission that we have been given as the church of Jesus Christ, you know, Shackleton set out to reach the pole and then in turn began to rescue his 26 men. We have been set out, given the great commission by Jesus Christ to reach the world with the gospel. Shackleton set out to save his men, their 27 men, their temporal lives. We have been given the commission to take the gospel to the world to see souls saved for all of eternity. And so today, we're going to find ourselves in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And we're just going to take a look at the Great Commission again. And to be honest, sometimes this can be so familiar to us. So familiar that we actually begin to lose sight of how precious and how awesome and powerful it actually is. And so this morning, this morning I'm praying that with fresh eyes, we would look again at the Great Commission, the greatest mission ever given to human beings, given by our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would have fresh eyes to see it again and a fresh heart to live it out. Let's look at the Great Commission right now. Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 16 through 20. Let's just read along here in our Bibles. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Let's just pause for a second there. Um, 11 disciples, well, we know that there were originally 12 disciples, right? We need to kind of situate ourselves in the context here. We're at the end of Matthew's gospel. Uh, Jesus has already died. He's already suffered on the cross. He has already rose from the grave, and he has already given instructions to his disciples to meet him on a mountain in Galilee. And we know that, that Judas betrayed Jesus, and then he went out and he hung himself And so there's 11 disciples. Now when the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, and notice this, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. How awesome is that? When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. Listen, don't let anyone come to your house and knock on your door with a pamphlet in their hand and try to down talk you about the deity of Jesus Christ. Look at what they did. The disciples get there. They get to this mountain. They see Jesus. They worship Jesus. If Jesus is anything but the Son of God, if he's anything but God come in the flesh, they wouldn't have worshipped, would they? But they worshipped him. And then notice this. But some doubted. Some doubted. No doubt Thomas was there with them, and we know about Thomas's doubts, and it appears that others may have had doubts as well. You know, this little phrase, some doubted, uh, could, could equally be stated, but they hesitated. They worshipped, but they were hesitant. They, they kind of stood back a little bit. You know, they worshipped Jesus, but they just weren't quite all in yet. They hesitated. And then notice what Jesus says, verse 18. This is what we want to focus on this morning. Verse 18 and the end of verse 20. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How awesome is that phrase? Just turn that one in your mind just for a moment. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Wow. Wow. We're going to focus in on that this morning. Then he says this, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and notice this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How awesome is that? This morning, we're going to focus in on two things in this passage. Okay, we're not going to focus in on the commands that are given by Jesus here, because before Jesus gives us any commands, he actually gives us an amazing condition for the Great Commission. We are going to focus in on the precondition and then the final statement. We're going to focus in on the power and the authority of Jesus Christ this morning and his presence with us on this mission. Then, Lord willing, next week we will come back and we will focus in on the commands that are contained in verse 19 and the beginning of verse 20. But let me just help to set this up a little bit more for us as we get into it. As we get to the end of Matthew's gospel, we read the Great Commission and then it just stops. Did anyone notice that? It just you know, it stops. We, if we were reading a novel or watching a movie, we would expect another chapter or another scene that would say something like, and then the disciples went out and took the gospel to all of the world and were victorious. So why don't we have that here? Well, we don't have that here, obviously, because the Great Commission is not completed yet. The disciples have gone out, they went on the mission, but the Great Commission that we are sent on is still ongoing. Okay, we are still going, we are still reaching out, we are reaching out to the, the far corners of the world, we are reaching out to the next generations, and so we could think, hey, listen, you know, it'd be great if there was something more here, well, yeah, we have the book of Acts, which, you know, tracks some of that for us, but listen, the Great Commission is still uncompleted, it's not finished yet, it is being completed, it will be completed, be sure of that, it's not in question, it will be completed, but yet we have our role in the Great Commission as believers of Jesus Christ. Listen, as we look at Matthew's gospel, one of Matthew's goals in writing his gospel, we'll remember that Matthew wrote his gospel to primarily a Jewish audience, and his goal is to show that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is in fact the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is the Messiah that has come. So Matthew begins his gospel, really, in Matthew 1.23, it talks about Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, okay, the king who's come to live with us, and then at the end of his gospel, he ends on the commissioning of the king, the king sending out his disciples, his followers to go into all of the world in his name, with his power, with his presence. And so this morning, we're going to unpack those two things primarily. Primarily, we're going to look at the power of Jesus Christ and the presence of Jesus Christ with us as we go and make disciples for his glory. But let's just ask a couple questions first. First of all, why do we call this the Great Commission? What's so great about the commission that's given here in Matthew chapter 28? Well, let me just give you four things real quick. These won't be up on the screen, but you don't need them up there. That's fine. Okay, four things real quick. The Great Commission is great, okay, first because of the person who gave it. We need to recognize that. The Great Commission is great because it is given by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is King of kings and Lord of lords and is authoritative over all. That makes it great. We could stop there, okay? But there's more reasons, okay? The second reason is also because of the scope of the Great Commission. Okay, Shackleton set out, remember, to rescue his 27 men. The Great Commission is for every soul in the entire world. It is for all peoples of all times, of all generations. Wow. Think of the scope of the Great Commission. And then third, think about the stakes. 
What's at stake in the Great Commission? It's eternity. Eternity is on the line. Souls are on the line in the Great Commission. And then fourth also, the Great Commission, I believe, is so great because of the promises and the conditions that are connected to it. And we can so often just rush in to the commands of the Great Commission, and we can get so focused on the go and make disciples and do this and do that that we forget who it is that goes with us. We forget the power of Jesus Christ. And we can often run into, you know, attempting to do things for God, and we can miss the fact that it is His power that carries us, His power that sustains us, and it is His presence that leads us. And this morning, we want to just come back to really focus on those two things. And before we get there, though, I just want to share a, a stat for why a message like this, um, focusing on this text, is probably so urgent in our day today and even in our church. As I was preparing for this, I came across um, a stat from the, the Barna Research Group. Uh, the Barna Research Group is a group that works primarily uh, with Christians in culture, led by George Barna, and uh, they... They survey a lot of different pastors and churches and a lot of different people. And in this particular survey, they were asking a question about discipleship. And the stat says that less than, get this, less than 1% of pastors in North America think that their church is effectively making disciples. Did you catch that? Less than 1% of pastors in North America think their church is effectively making disciples. Wow. That's a staggering statistic, isn't it? Kind of like as I read it, I'm kind of like, come on, Barna, couldn't you like pad the stats a little bit to like give us a full 1% here or something? But think about it for a second. Okay, this means that over 99% of pastors, if you were to ask them, hey, is your church fairly effective in disciple making, would say, no, not at all. Not at all. Why is that? Why is it? Why is it that at large the church in North America is ineffective in making disciples? Listen, discipleship is the primary command of the Great Commission. The Great Commission can be summed up in saying, I'm strong, I'm with you, make disciples. There it is. Jesus could have just said that. He said it way better than that. But that's it. It's to make disciples. We are to go and make disciples. Yet, 99% of pastors in North America say that their church is ineffective in making disciples. Well, why is that? Is it because their churches lack programs? Do they just not have enough you know, programs happening? And maybe if they just got more of those, then they would be uh, more effective in that. Or is it because you know, their, their church um, lacks resources? They, just, they don't have enough finances to actually make disciples. Well, no, the church in North America has more programs than ever before. The church in North America at large has more finances than any other church in the world. Now, here's the reality. China is making disciples, okay, like this. Yet, and they have very, very little resources in the underground church in China. Yet, we are struggling in North America. Well, maybe it's a different reason. Uh, maybe it's because we lack direction. We just don't have enough good resources and enough good teaching to teach us how to actually make disciples. Do we think that's the case? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe a little bit, but not fully. Do we lack power? Does the church in North America lack power? Do we just not have access to power? No, we have access. We have access to power, but we do lack power. But it's not because of a lack 
of access to power that we, that we don't make disciples. So why is it then? Why is it that the church in North America is considered by 99% of pastors to be ineffective in disciple making? I believe that it's this reason. Because we've bought into the lies of a culture that says that we are consumers, not producers. We come to get, not to give. We come in with our list of needs and all of these things, not asking how can I come along somebody else and how can I disciple them and help them grow in their faith, but we come to consume. Our culture revolves around this. Our culture is built around this. At large in North America, the church wants to be served and does not want to serve. That's a miss when it comes to discipleship. We've missed the mark of the Great Commission there. And maybe we're here in this place this morning where we, we love to come and we love to come and worship. We love to come and worship. And we, when we're here, we're all in. We'll pray for somebody else. We'll um, care for somebody else. We'll Lord bless you, somebody else. But then when we walk out the doors, we hesitate. We hesitate to confront the world. We hesitate to speak our faith. We hesitate to even bow our heads in a restaurant and pray or talk about Jesus' name there. We worship but we hesitate. Maybe that's the case this morning. And if, if you're in that place this morning, then I just want to say that you're not the only one. I feel that tension in my own life. I feel that struggle in my own life. But the Lord Jesus Christ has called us to so much more than that, hasn't he? He's called us to so much more. We have been commissioned by the king. We have been sent out by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we have been sent out with his power and with his presence. That is awesome. And we need to go. And we need to be active in discipling. So what is it? What holds us back from discipleship? Listen, as we get into this this morning, we're going to have five myths about discipleship up on the screen here this morning. Five myths about discipleship coming up on the screen. And as I you know, wrote these down and wrestled with them myself, they're things that I would see in my life at times and you know, sometimes more than I would even care to admit. But here's the first one. Here's something that many of us would say. This is, you know, if we were to ask people, what holds you back from discipling others, from investing in lives with the gospel for eternity? What is it? Here's the first one. Many people would say, I'm just, I'm not equipped enough. I'm just not equipped enough. Uh, you know, discipleship is kind of a big thing. It's kind of an important thing. It should be left to the professionals. It should be left to the pastors, you know, to the elders, to the staff, to the small group leaders. Like my small group leader, they're really an amazing disciple maker. Maybe they could just make extra, some extra disciples for me. No, no. no we, we have been commissioned by the king, each one of us. Okay, let's just pause in this list for a second. I should have said this earlier. Okay, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, let's just get this. Okay, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a disciple. Okay, got it? Believer in Jesus Christ equals disciple, okay? And if you're a disciple, then you are a disciple maker. There's no categories. You're like, it's not like, oh, I get saved and I'm a believer and then eventually I graduate to disciple maker or disciple and then I'll eventually graduate to disciple maker. It's not like that. When we come to believe in Jesus Christ, we are disciples and disciple makers. And so the question is not whether we're disciple makers today, but whether we're doing a good job and being faithful to be disciple makers. So just keep that in mind as we go through these excuses, because chances are some of these 
Some of these, sorry, myths, not excuses, okay? Myths, okay? So chances are that we struggle with some of these, and the Lord is going to root them out in our heart here, hopefully, today. Okay, so the first one, I'm not equipped enough. That should be left to pastors or small group leaders. Wrong. No, it doesn't say that in the text. It's not there, okay? Second one, I'm not old enough. I'm just not old enough to make disciples. You know, disciple making should be left to like the 45 to 60 year olds. They'd be really good at it because they're, you know, they're knowledgeable and they walked with the Lord a long time and they should do that. Okay, can you glance down at Matthew chapter 28 and just tell me what verse you see that in? I don't see any age brackets in Matthew 28. Do you? It's not there. Okay, there's nowhere that says that you need to be a certain age before you can make disciples. It's just not there. Or here's here's another one. Okay, I like this one. I'm not an extrovert. So somehow that gets me off the hook. I'm not an extrovert, so I'm not comfortable around people, so I don't have to make disciples. Okay, when Jesus was on the mountain with his disciples, with his 11, do you think he made them take a a personality profile? I don't think so. He, he probably just looked at them as they were and said, okay, guys, hey, listen, go make disciples. I will empower you. I will help you to do this. This is what he did. He didn't give them a personality test. So it doesn't matter whether you're an extrovert or not, okay? We are all called to discipleship, okay? And then the next one, and I think this is one that we probably struggle with. I can't disciple others while I'm still being discipled. Hey, listen, I am a work in progress here. I'm in the middle of my own sanctification journey, and I couldn't possibly disciple somebody else because I'm still working on some stuff. Is that a good reason to be disobedient to Jesus's command? No. Here's the reality this morning. We are all in process, every single one of us, okay? If you had to be mature, fully mature, and at the end of your sanctification journey before you could go out and make disciples in some way, that would exclude each one of us this morning, myself completely included. But that's not the reality. As we disciple others, we are all being discipled. This is the way that it works, okay? We pour into others. Others pour into us. This is discipleship. We are all in process together, and that's a good thing. We're continually learning and growing together. And then here's the last one, right here. Number five, I don't have time. I don't have time. Let me just pause there for a second and let's just let an awkward silence kind of fall on the room for a minute here. I don't have time. I don't have time to make disciples. I don't have time to be obedient to Jesus' command. I don't have time to invest my life in others' eternity. That's simply not the case. Sure, we are busy today. We are way busier than what is healthy in North America today. Okay, we are a busy people. But if we ever reach a point where we are too busy to be obedient to the Great Commission, we have a serious, serious problem. The reality is, is that we make time for the things that are priorities to us. We make time for what is a priority. I love how John Piper says that on the final day, that some of the great uses of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube will be to prove that we had more than enough time. It's true. How much time do we waste? How much time do we throw away? And yet, don't invest in disciple-making. Listen. 
Sometimes we may struggle with, I don't have time to lead a formal Bible study. Who said that it had to be a formal Bible study? We can invest in disciple making. I love that little reminder that we had this morning about the doorpost signs for our kids. Listen, parents, our first place, our first place of witness is our home, okay? Discipleship starts with your kids. That's your first realm, okay? We're going to talk about that next week, okay? But hey, listen, if you don't know where to start, grab one of those doorpost things. That'll be a great start for discipling your children for the glory of Jesus Christ. Listen, we're at the end of our list, but I want to tack on one more excuse, you know, and this one is kind of just there, um, and it's this excuse that we might all kind of find ourselves in this place right now, um, and it's the excuse that says, I'm out of excuses, but I'm not really sure I want to anyway. And I think that's the reality for a lot of us. I think that's the reality for a lot of the Church of North America. I don't have any good, legitimate excuses, but I'm really not sure that I want to do what Jesus has commanded. Well, listen, church, I'm, I'm praying this morning that, you know, the Lord will begin to shift that in our hearts this morning as we begin to see the great joy, that the great joy, let me say that again, the great joy that we have as being the people that are commissioned by the King to go out and to make disciples for His name. It's a joy. Listen to what Jesus said as He prayed in His high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 18. He prayed to his father, Father, as you sent me out into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Listen, we need to realize that we have been sent by the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that he is interceding for us, that he goes with us. Listen, if we don't disciple the next generation, who will? If we don't pass the baton from one generation to the next, who will do that? Listen, the disciples, when they were gathered there with Jesus on the mountain, he was entrusting the gospel message to them. He was saying, here, take this and go and share this message with others and teach them to obey all that I have commanded. And I am with you. I'm going with you on this mission. And their job was to take that, not just to hang on to it for themselves, but to take that message and to go out and invest it in the next generation and the next generation. And for that to flood across the earth, that is the Great Commission. The scope is the entire world. The people is every generation, every nation, tribe, and tongue. That is what Jesus is aiming for. And let me just say this this morning. He won't fail. Jesus will not fail on his mission. He will get the job done. He will get it done. And so the question this morning is whether we will participate with him in this. And so maybe we're here this morning. We worship. We want to, but we're hesitant. Let me give you some encouragement this morning. Let me give you some encouragement from this passage as we look at it. There are two things in this passage this morning that are incredibly, incredibly encouraging to us. We are going to have two points in the message this morning. One comes from the beginning of the Great Commission, and one comes from the end. In the next few minutes, let's just unpack these together. Okay, here's the first one. His power is sufficient for our mission. In case we didn't get that already, we need to get that. The authority of Jesus that is talked about here in this passage is his power that is sufficient for us as we go on mission. Notice what it says. Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wow. How awesome is that? Let's think about that phrase for a second. All authority has been given to Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to have all authority? Well, as he walked with his disciples... In his earthly ministry, we see Jesus doing incredible miracles. He calms a storm. 
He's, he's powerful over nature. He casts out demons. He's powerful over the demons. He heals the blind, the sick. He even raises people from the dead. He's powerful over all of these things. But one thing, but one thing was still left until his death. He had not triumphed over the grave and over sin. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place, he triumphed over the grave and over sin, over my sin and your sin, and he rose victorious. And Jesus comes to the disciples as the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords, and he says, all power has been given to me. Now go. How awesome is that? Think about the power of Christ. Think about these things as they come up on the screen. First of all, Jesus has ultimate authority over nature and over nations. The nations are but a drop in the bucket to Jesus Christ. Jesus has ultimate authority over disease and over demons. Jesus has ultimate authority over sin and over death. And he has ultimate authority over our lives and ultimate authority over every life. Whether we trust in Jesus Christ and believe in him and follow him or we don't, Jesus has authority over our lives. He does. That's the reality this morning. Philippians 2 verse 9 says this, there speaking of Christ after his resurrection, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow, notice that, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, Jesus has ultimate authority this morning. We can be assured of that. But not only does Jesus have ultimate authority, authority Jesus sends us out in his authority. Acts 1.8 says this incredible thing. Acts 1.8 says this, Jesus speaking to his disciples says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit residing within us. As believers in Christ, we have his power with us every single day. How awesome is that, church? That is awesome. That's amazing. You're like, well, where do we see that in Scripture? Okay, well, why don't we just do this for a second right now? Okay? Let's just, let's just do this. Okay, keep your finger in Matthew chapter 28, and let's just turn over, okay, to Ephesians. Okay? Let's just go over to Ephesians. Finger in Matthew 28. Flip your Bible. Okay, over to Ephesians. We're just going to go there for a second. We'll come right back. All right? So, Ephesians. And in Ephesians, we see something that is absolutely incredible for us this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, we see clearly that when we believe in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says this, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, let's pause. Let's pause. Did everybody see that? When we believed, we were sealed with what? The Holy Spirit, okay, like two of us got that, okay? All, you guys are shy today, so we'll try again, okay? The first service didn't do good with that either, so let's try it again. Okay, when we believed in Christ, we were sealed with what? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. okay, so look at that, look at these words. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You're like, okay, that's amazing. We have the Holy Spirit as believers, but what about the power thing? Where do we see that? Okay, well, look down just a little bit further. I want you to kind of see this from the book of Ephesians, okay? Notice this in Ephesians, okay? Let's go down to verse 18. He begins to talk about power, power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus Christ, and he says this, having the, the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, okay? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Did you see it there? The immeasurable greatness of his power, Christ's power to us who believe. Let's keep reading. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. You see that? You see the connection that's being made in Ephesians? Believers are given the Holy Spirit. Okay, it is the power of Jesus Christ that dwells within us. So when we go on mission, we don't go in our power. We go in His power. When we go on mission, we don't go in our strength. We go in His strength. Listen, there are three application points to this point this morning. And let's bring those up on the screen and let's take a look at these. All authority in our text in Matthew means this. It means that the mission doesn't depend on my power. It depends on his power. It depends on Jesus' power. Jesus will be faithful to complete the Great Commission through his church. He's going to get it done. If you're not sure about that, read the book of Revelation. Okay, The book of Revelation is not predictions. It's prophecy. It is going to happen. He's going to get the job done, and he's going to do it through the church. The only question is whether we will be faithful to participate in it. But the mission doesn't depend on my power. It depends on Jesus' power. Here's the second thing. His power is always available to accomplish his purposes. Jesus' power is always available to accomplish his purposes. That's a fact. And then third, Jesus has empowered me He's empowered you to make disciples. We are disciple makers. That is our purpose. That is how we bring glory and honor to Christ as we live, as we walk with him, as we worship, as we go about our lives making disciples for his kingdom. We honor him and we fulfill his great commission. Isn't that an awesome thing? His power goes with us. We go in the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That's awesome. But listen, there's something more here in this passage too. Not only do we go in his power, but we also go in his presence. I want you to look down to verse 20. We'll just start at the beginning of verse 20, but we'll read to the end. The part I want to catch is towards the end of the verse. Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How awesome is that? We go in the power of Jesus Christ and we go in the presence of Jesus Christ. His presence goes with us on our mission. That's amazing. We don't go alone. 
okay? We don't go with kind of just some distant power that's out there. We go with the personal presence of Jesus Christ walking with us, indwelling us through his Holy Spirit, giving us strength and power to make disciples for his glory. Church, that's amazing. Wow. He supplied everything that we need around this. Think about how awesome it is in the Old Testament, how how such an amazing promise and such a proof of God's blessing on his people, the fact that he went with them. Think back to to Moses in the Old Testament. What did Moses say when God said, that's it, I'm not going with you anymore? What did Moses say? Okay, well, I guess we'll try to figure it out on our own. Let's keep going. No, Moses said, we're not going then. We're not going to go because unless you go with us, there's nothing that makes us distinct. We can't go unless you go. And what, what happened? God went with them and empowered them and led them. God goes with us through his son, Jesus Christ. As I think of the Ernest Shackleton story, that mission, Shackleton's men remarked over and over again that his presence was crucial to their survival. Some of his men said there was no way that we would have even made it off the ice flows if it wasn't for Shackleton being with us and remaining calm under pressure, intense pressure and intense suffering. Listen, in the difficulty of our lives, in the difficulty of disciple making, Jesus Christ goes with us. He is present. He is there with us every single step of the way. Listen, there's three applications here for us in this point right here. His power goes with us. His presence goes with us. Three application points that we should take away from this. Behold, I am always with you. It means this, okay? When Jesus says, behold, I am always with you, here's what it means. It means that we can rely on the promise of his personal presence. We don't need to doubt it. We don't need to hesitate. We don't need to be kind of like the disciples were on that mountain, but worship, but be standoffish. We can rely on his presence to go with us, to be with us through the good times and through the hard times. He is there. He can be relied on. That is awesome. Second, we can share the gospel with boldness. Listen, because Jesus Christ goes with us, we can be bold in our gospel witness, can't we? I want you to think about this for a moment, okay? Because he's with us, we can be bold. Okay, when when you were a kid, just be honest, were you afraid of the dark? Eh, Nobody wants to admit it. Okay, I was. I was afraid of the dark, okay? And when I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of the dark in my room, so I'd close my eyes really tight in my room, and I'd kind of pull my pillow over my head so I wouldn't have to see the dark. Uh, That doesn't really help at all, okay? Because it's darker. Um, when When I would have to go downstairs, if my mom or dad asked me to go down and get something from downstairs, the light for our our stairs was at the bottom of the stairs, okay? That was a great feat of electrical ingenuity right there, okay? Not safe at all. So you'd have to walk down the dark stairs in the dark into the dark dungeony basement to turn on the light switch. And I was always terrified of this, okay? And so I would start to go down the stairs and sometimes I would just make stuff up and I would come back up and be like, I couldn't find it. I, you know, it wasn't there. And I would try to come up with an excuse because I didn't want to go down those stairs in the dark because I was terrified. So I'd lie about it. There you go, okay? Um, <laughs> but if... But if, on an occasion, I did that, and my dad said, you know what, I'll come with you. It's right there, I'll come with you. And if he came with me on that, I would just like run down those stairs in the dark and not care and flick on that switch and just be like the bravest kid in the world. Think about the illustration there. Jesus Christ, 
Our spiritual father goes with us, okay? We can go in boldness. We can walk being brave in the gospel, being bold for him. Listen, church, we get this so backwards today. We think that we are being beaten up by the world in our culture today. We think that our culture is against Christianity, and it is, okay? It's against it. But somehow we get this loser mentality in our minds sometimes of like, oh, poor Christians. They've taken prayer out of school. They've done all these things. They're doing this now. Right, sure, but why do we hide in a corner and cower about it? Why don't we read the Bible and look at who actually wins in the end, okay? Here's the reality this morning. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are on the right side of history because your Savior wins in the end. And so whatever culture does, whatever culture says is honestly, to a sense, irrelevant It's light and momentary affliction, as Paul would say, because in the end, Christ wins. He's victorious. He has overcome the world. Don't forget that. Don't forget that we as believers in Jesus Christ, being sent on his mission, are on the right side of history. You read Revelation and you read that before the throne in heaven, there will be people from every tribe, from every tongue, and from every nation because the great commission will be completed through the power and the presence of Jesus Christ and through his church. And so this morning, the only question is whether we're going to participate in it, whether we are going to be willing to be like Ernest Shackleton who suffered and endured and sacrificed so much for the mission. Shackleton, when he was in Antarctica, in that area, he left the comfort of his homeland. He sacrificed. He gave and he gave and he kept giving, even to the point where he gave up his rations of food so that his men could eat. He stayed awake during the night watches so that his men could rest. But in the end, he didn't finish his mission. He didn't make it to the pole. Shackleton was a man that was made for the Arctic. But listen, church, we are made to make disciples. We are made to make disciples. We have been saved so that we can make disciples. We are a new creation so that we can lead others as they, so that they can know Jesus Christ and be a new creation in him. We were made to make disciples, but we must be willing to leave the comfort of our own home. We must be willing to sacrifice. We must be willing to give and to give and to keep on giving. But listen, in the end, our mission will succeed. Our mission will succeed because the power and the presence and the promises of Jesus Christ guarantees it. There is not one place in Scripture where Jesus Christ lies. There is not one place in Scripture where he falters on a promise. There is not one place in Scripture where you can find him being unfaithful, and he won't do it in the end. He is faithful, and he will complete his mission, and he will do it through his church, and we can praise God for that. Listen, church, the question that we're left with at the end of this week and the question that we're left with as we head into next week and as we go into this coming week, will we be faithful? The command is clear. The conditions have been given. The power and the presence of Christ goes with us. The command is clear. Go and make disciples. That's our mission. That's our mission. It will be completed. Will we participate in it? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come at the end of this time together, Lord, thankful, so thankful for your power, God. You are strong and you are faithful, Lord. We are weak, Lord. We are weak and needy, Lord. We need you. We need your encouragement. We need your help. We need your leading. We need your presence to go with us. And so, Lord, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would lead us out from here, that you would lead us to be bold, that you would lead us to speak your word, Lord, that you would lead us to lead others closer to Jesus Christ. Lead us, Lord, as we walk with you, Lord. Lead us to live out your great commission for your glory, going in your power and your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.